Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. Uh, getting a text from a friend right as the show goes live. Talk like a champ today. I'm talking like a champ just for him. Uh, good morning to you. It is six after the hour. The phone number, if you want to be a part of the program today, 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. Uh, I, I want to begin with the my pillow guy before anything else. Uh, you need to stick around today, though because we need to do a deep dive into some of the Georgia politics behind what's going on with the governor and not shutting down the entire state. I'll do that later. Um, when We've got a couple of stations due to contract requirements that they can't pick us up uh, immediately. So I, I want to make sure everybody's on board before we go down that rabbit trail. But I told you this was going to happen. Uh, before we get directly into my pillow, I told you this was going to happen. I told you that when the president's approval rating started going up, the media would start complaining about the press conferences. Here's Chris Hayes on MSNBC. Entertaining, uh, in part because he is combative, in part because he does lie, and you yes. can catch him in those lies and hold him accountable. But that doesn't make for an effective public health response. Yeah, that's why he's bragging about the ratings. It's obviously above my pay grade. I don't make the call that we take them or not, but it seems crazy to me that everyone's still taking them when you got the my pillow guy uh, getting up there talking about reading the Bible. The the oh oh, and that's what offended them. By the way, he got up there and quoted scripture. They're upset about my pillow guy, Mike Lindell. Quoting scripture, if you know his story, maybe, well, no, they would still be upset about it. We'll, we'll, we'll get there. Bear with me. Uh, here's Don Lemon. I have said, I don't think that you should really listen to what he says. You should listen to what the experts say. I'm not actually sure, if you want to be honest, that we should carry that live. I think we should run snippets. I think we should do it afterwards and get the pertinent points to the American people because he's never, ever going to tell you the truth. And guess what he's going to do? If you ask a question that is a legitimate question he and if he doesn't like the question he's gonna say whether it's whether you're being mean or not or whatever he wants to call he's gonna say that is a mean nasty question why because he wants his base to think that the media is being mean to him and they're attacking him it is all a plot it is all the orchestrated <laughs> and if you can't see it I don't know I don't know what you're looking at so you know I I, it's it's obvious. It's transparent to me. This has become those um, press briefings have become his new apprentice. They've become his new rallies, and he treats the press and the media as if he's talking to the people in his rallies. <laughs> have you ever have you ever heard the president of the United States speak? He speaks about the same way to everyone. Uh, the president is always rallying. Y'all, the, the, the president of the United States will call me at home. Uh, he hasn't actually called me. I, maybe I should, should not present tense. He, he's called me several times at home in, in uh, the past year. And more often than not, if I answer the phone, and it's not his assistant, who it was Madeline, and he's got a new assistant now. Uh, if he calls me from a cell phone, uh, typically what happens is, uh, he says, it's your favorite president. <laughs> it's actually very endearing. Uh, he's a very, very likable person, one-on-one. Uh, -on -one. He really is. You know, I, I've been up to, to Trump Tower before and, and spent a lot of time with him in his office interviewing him. He had a book come out. I was working for a company that had published the book. They wanted me to go do an interview with him, live streamed on the Internet. This has been several years ago. He was a very, very nice person. 
Uh, and and he's always like that. I mean, the Donald Trump, and you know, this is, by the way, this is the big difference between Donald Trump and Joe Biden, is that the Donald Trump of 2020 is the Donald Trump of 2016 is the Donald Trump of 2011. The Joe Biden of today is not the Joe Biden of four years ago. There, there clearly is a mental slowdown with Joe Biden as he's aged in a way there isn't with Donald Trump. And and you can you can like him or not like him. You can you can hate him or not. Uh, but I think objectively it's true. I mean, it, it, the Joe Biden interview on MSNBC was painful. I didn't even ask Charlie to get it for me because uh, Charlie would have had a complete meltdown uh, had he had to listen to it. And but I wound up I found um, the RNC circulating the clip so i just bookmarked it on twitter to play for you listen to this this is joe biden this is joe biden on msnbc giving an interview and in order to avoid that those very high numbers we have to do at least several things one we have to uh depend on what the president's going to do right now and first of all he has to uh tell uh, uh wait till the cases before anything happens look the whole idea is He's got to get in place things that were shortages of. That were shortages. <laughs> he's looking at his notes the whole time, but with the, you, you can't see this on radio. But he's staring down at a piece of paper, and he'll pop up and he'll talk, and then he'll look back down at his paper. And, and you know, I like Joe, but I mean, I just I feel like his campaign is elder abuse at this point. In any of it, the the media. I told you the moment the president's polling went up. Uh, there would be a complete meltdown of the White House press corps over the idea of covering this, and, and not just the White House press corps, the media in general. And it turns out that uh, that Jeff Zucker from CNN has dictated that they will continue to cover the the press briefings, and people at CNN are whispering to liberal reporters at the Daily Beast and elsewhere, I just can't believe Jeff Zucker's doing this. This is a rainy ploy. Uh, hello, this was the network that did the, the nonstop wall-to-wall multi-week coverage of the missing Malaysian 777 that allowed Don Lemon to speculate that a black hole had swallowed up a, a Malaysian airliner. This is the, the network that went wall-to-wall with the anti-gun programming after the Parkland shooting and, and made an editorial decision to be hostile to anyone who supported the Second Amendment. Uh, by the way, the president's job approval, the polling average, uh, is still uh, 47, 47.3 to 49.7. It's, it's a negative 2.4 spread. But increasingly, polling is coming out showing the president with a huge uh, job approval rating from ABC News, he's up too. Uh, from The Hill, he's he's tied. Uh, from Gallup, he is up four. From Emerson College, which actually isn't a very good poll, he, he's up one. Monmouth has a better poll, he's tied there. Now, this isn't everything. The Morning Consult poll and, and Reuters have him down seven. Uh, and uh, Harvard Harris, which isn't a very good poll, has him down four. It's more of an online poll. Uh, but the, the polls that are actually calling people, with the exception of the Fox poll, which has been kind of an outlier, uh, his, his polling, it's, it's actually done a very good job. It, it has closed the gap. This is the best he has done since his inauguration. And now the media is having a meltdown. Well, they're not just having a meltdown at him. They're having a meltdown about yesterday's uh, press briefing. The president trotted out Mike Lindell. Mike Lindell, if you know anything about the guy, very I, I do not have my pillow. He's not an advertiser on this program. Uh, but he's got a very impressive story. Mike Lindell is a born-again Christian who had a terrible life, uh, drugs, and, and just very self-destructive. Rebuilt his life, rebuilt his family, 
built a, a multi-million dollar company building the perfect pillow. And for I, so I've got upstairs in my house uh, where I'm broadcasting from. I have a pile of pillows that need to go to the discard pile. My wife and I go through pillows. I, I, as I've gotten older, I've become pickier about pillows. Uh, I want to sleep very well at night. I work very hard. I work nonstop. I want to sleep well. Uh, so I want a super comfortable mattress and I want a great pillow. And it is one of the, the worst things about going to nice hotels these days is nicer hotels actually have the worst pillows. And I'm not sure why that is with the exception of a couple, but I get a better night's sleep at a Hampton Inn than I do at a Ritz Carlton because the Hampton Inn actually has good pillows. The, the, they, they don't spend a lot of time getting the, the our, our artisan plucked down goose pillow that, that goes flat as a sheet of paper at night. No, I, I want a pillow that I can sink my head into that supports my neck. And, and you get that from a Holiday Inn Express and you get it from a Hampton Inn. You don't get it from a Ritz-Carlton. As an aside, I don't understand some of these high-end hotels now that they have terrible air conditioning in their skyscraper buildings, uh, and then they pile you under a, a hen and a goose on top of you with their comforter, so you sweat to death at night, and the air conditioner never gets cold enough to cool you down underneath it. I've actually stopped. I, I was staying at a very nice hotel in Atlanta, and I finally got fed up with the water pressure, the bad pillows, and, and sweating all night, even though it was a fancy hotel with a fantastic bourbon collection. And so now I stay at the Hyatt, which, which is still a nice hotel, but you don't sweat to death at night. They got a better air conditioner. The, the, the bathroom's not as nice, but I would much rather get a good night's sleep. I'm sure first world problems. I get it. Not that I can stay at a hotel right now, but nonetheless, my pillow, apparently a very comfortable pillow. And so the president invited Mike Lindell that last week, you will recall, the president had the pharmaceutical manufacturers there and the pharmaceutical manufacturers were talking about how they're stepping up and, and they're doing testing and they're making new new um, they're making new tests. In fact, Abbott Labs now has a test that, that's out uh, that'll be priced the same as a flu test. They're going to ramp up production to several million of them. Uh, you can get the, the, the test results in under an hour to find out if you're positive for COVID-19. They're spreading these out to the healthcare sector right now and then out into the public sector and the private sector and, and beyond and out to the public to be able to test at home. And the media was okay with all of that, but they resented like hell that Mike Lindell, and I didn't mean for that to rhyme, it just did. They resented that Mike Lindell was at the White House press conference yesterday because he has a small business that makes a pillow that is very successful and advertises on conservative media, and he's decided to shut down pillow production right now to make masks for first responders. He's converted his entire company, which, by the way, uh, New Balance Tennis Shoes is doing the same thing. New Balance has suspended production of masks to, or I'm sorry, sus suspended production of shoes to make masks. They've got American manufacturing facilities, and they're making masks. You know who's not doing that? Nike. Nike, which has outsourced everything to communist China and has refused to ever take a line critical of communist China. Nike's not doing this, but uh, the, the American manufacturers like New Balance, they're making masks for first responders. And so is this guy, Mike Lindell a small businessman who cares about his country, but he had the audacity to bring up God at the White House yesterday. Okay, well, my pill is a U.S. vertically integrated company which has been forced to adjust to the changing business environment as a result of the pandemic. MyPillow is uniquely positioned as a U.S. company that functions as a manufacturer, logistics management distributor, and direct-to-consumer. Given our current business lines, we are experiencing the effects of this pandemic firsthand. 
But my pill is done. We've established an internal task force which is monitoring future needs of companies across the country as a result of this pandemic. And given our position, we've begun to research and develop new protocols to address the current and future needs of U.S. businesses across multiple sectors. How companies are going to prepare themselves when they once again open up and, and changes to their current operations in order to adjust to future threats and pandemics. MyPillow has designated some of its call center to help U.S. companies navigate the many issues that resulted from this pandemic. We've, de we've dedicated 75% of my manufacturing to produce cotton face masks. Um, up to ten, in three days, I was up to 10,000 a day. By Friday, I want to be up to 50,000 a day. Um, I'm proud to manufacture our products in the United States, and I'm even more proud to be able to serve our nation in this great time of need. Thank you, Mr. President, for your call to action. When which has empowered companies like MyPillow to help our nation win this invisible war. Now I wrote something off the cuff, if I can read this. Uh, this is where it goes downhill for the media. And by the way, they didn't like that first part either. This guy was clearly nervous talking to the crowd. Given his background, you can understand why. But uh, this is what really got under the skin of these reporters. <laughs> God gave us grace on November 8, 2016. <gasps> to change the course we were on. God had been taken out of our schools and lives. A nation had turned his back on God. And I encourage you to use this time at home to get to home to get back in the word, read our Bibles and spend time with our families. Our president gave us so much hope where just a few short months ago, we had the best economy, the lowest unemployment and wages going up. It was amazing. With our great president, vice president, and this administration, and all the great people in this country praying daily, we will get through this and get back to a place that's strong. Uh, yeah, they really didn't like that. He, he dared to suggest that God saved us from Hillary Clinton. <laughs> you know, if I were him, I'd be have, having a private security team. He and God both may need some protection. <laughs> Oh, man, wind up like Jeffrey Epstein coming after Hillary Clinton. Uh, Y'all, seriously, the, the media, were they were livid, livid that this guy suggested that God saved us from Hillary Clinton. Now, you know, if, if, a, if a minister came forward and, and said that, that God gave us Barack Obama, which scripturally is true, I mean, God picks our leaders. According to, if you're a Christian, you believe that ultimately it's by God's design that these things happen. Uh, God is sovereign. He's on the throne. He directs the course of man. And uh, the, But they absolutely melted down that he said that. They didn't like the fact that he was up there. But, you know, it's, it's one thing for liberals like Don Lemon or uh, Chris, Chris Hayes to, to, to take these positions. It's one thing for them to be taking these positions. But what I find really interesting is the executive editor of CNN, an Atlanta-based news network, also was dripping with disdain for this guy. Now, you can say that's expected, but I, I want to spend just a moment on the implications of that when we come back. It is Eric Erickson here. Uh, I have shut down the live stream for those of you who, who are interested in watching the live stream. So I've got new connections here. 
we, we got fancy. I, I got tired of, of uh, waiting for everybody else to do it. So I went out and bought my own uh, voiceover IP equipment to make the radio show sound better. And it sounds great, except for the video live stream. Uh, it, it's, it's, we, we are, we, <laughs> uh, we, we're working on it. Uh, we'll figure it out now, 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 now. Uh, I want to spend just a moment on this CNN thing. By the way, before I get there, I have compiled, I am compiling all these links for you. If you text the word data to 33777, it's going to send you back a, a link. And that link is going to give you useful COVID-19 information and links on the spread of the virus, uh, the transmission, the modeling, the stimulus package, uh, what you need to know as an individual, what you need to know as a small business, what you need to know as a nonprofit. Uh, all of that will be there and want to make sure you have it. Text the word data to 33777. But, but this is important. There were lots of hate about Mike Lindell. Uh, Ali Velshi from uh, MSNBC tweeted out, Trump just called the My Pillow guy up to the podium at the Rose Garden. You can't make this stuff up. Um, uh, Joy Reid from MSNBC was mocking it. Julie Brown, who's a Miami Herald reporter, uh, tweeted out the My Pillow guy was at the coronavirus briefing today. Boy, oh boy, do we need SNL this Saturday? If this had been an SNL skit, we would have thought it was fake, right? You can't make this blankety blank up. Uh, and then Aaron Rupar, who is a notorious left-wing hack at Vox Media, who, who selectively edits all sorts of things um, on Twitter, he, he, he tweeted, the MyPillow guy, Mike Lindell, says this, God gave us grace on November 8th, 2016, to change the course we were on. God had been taken out of our schools and lives. The nation turned back on God. I encourage you to use this time at home to get back to the Word. Read our Bible. Uh, that was an accurate quote, by the way. He didn't selectively edit that, and he just tweeted it out. And, of course, it got all the left-wing uh, hacks who follow him all upset. One of them was Ram Ram Gopal, who is the executive editor of CNN. And he tweeted out uh, Aaron Rupar's quote from Mike Lindell. And all he said was, in case you were wondering what my pillow is doing in a time of coronavirus. Uh, and the implication, of course, is that Mike Lindell is, is talking about God of the White House as opposed to doing anything useful. No, actually, the reason Mike Lindell was at the White House was because his company is going to start making masks for healthcare workers. And here's a CNN executive editor in Atlanta belittling Mike Lindell. Um, there, that tweet is everything that's wrong with the media right now. You know that MSNBC, if you're a conservative, hates your guts. And MSNBC doesn't pretend to be fair and balanced. It doesn't pretend to be uh, mainstream or down the middle of the road. MSNBC is a left-wing democratic um, propaganda tool. But CNN uh, at least has the has the the view of being mostly objective in its news coverage. Yes, it has left-wing reporters. Yes, it has, has people like Jim Acosta and Don Lemon and Chris Cuomo. But by and large, CNN's news coverage uh, has a reputation for being uh, fairly balanced and objective. Now, you and I can disagree with that. I actually would tend to to, to defend a good portion of CNN's coverage, not all of it, but some of it. I used to work there, uh, and I know they got a lot of people who are definitely left of center but, but work very hard on their biases. But this guy's an executive editor. He helps shape the news behind the scenes. He's not on camera. He's helping direct the narratives of the news. And he's belittling a small business in Minnesota that is 
stopping production of its product in order to make masks for healthcare workers. I got a real problem with that because that suggests this guy uh, is shaping the news against the little guy like that who happens to like Trump. And that's very telling that an executive editor of CNN would be that belittling. And it's very problematic for faith in the news to be a fair institution. Hello there, it is Eric Erickson here. The phone number, if you would like to be a part of the program, is 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. And uh, if, you're, if you've been watching on the live stream, you've had to jump over to radio because uh, I, we've got new equipment in here and it's been, this the mic sound is garbled, it's over-modulated, so... Uh, just bear with me. I'll get that fixed after the show today. I, I have to do it all myself. I'm I'm quarantined in my house. We, we've got a um, a shelter in place order on my home um, because of my wife's health. We're not allowed out of the house except for me to go to the grocery store. So uh, I'm I'm doing it all myself. Can't have people in the house now. I I, I need to move on uh, beyond things. But it, it, one more point on the media here because I I think this is increasingly important. Uh, you know, we've got all the, the data out there about modeling and how epidemiological modeling works. And we've got other stories out there regarding the virus. And the media seems to not be able to move on from the standard playbook. And the standard playbook has always been uh, the president is bad and all accusations against the president should be treated as an accurate accusation unless thoroughly rebutted, which leads me to the Michigan governor, Whitmer, uh, who made the accusation last week that the president of the United States is withholding uh, shipments of medical supplies and devices to Michigan because she's been critical of him. There is no proof of that. Uh, there is no evidence of that. And she has lately now taken to singing the president's praises. So I don't have energy to focus on anything other than trying to make sure that we work well with the federal government. And that means, you know, the conversations I've had with the vice president and the head of FEMA and the Army Corps of Engineers. We're, we're grateful for their help. We need more of it. But I can't get distracted by anything else because this is the most important thing. I'm the governor of a state of hardworking, good people who need to know that when, if and when they get sick, that they're going to get the help that they need. So the White House, uh, through Vice you President know, Pence, Governor, did reach just, out. Oh. Yeah, so I've had a number of conversations yes. with the vice president. We're grateful from the White House on down. We've had a lot of help from the feds, and that's something that we need to continue. And that's why um, I'm going to continue to to push to make sure that we've got everything we need from the feds, from what we can procure and what we can make right here in Michigan. But we are, um, it's, it's a serious situation. And what's happening in New York and what's starting to happen in Michigan is, is going to happen in a lot of other places across the country. And people have to take this seriously. Chip in and do your part. Notice how she doesn't want to engage in that. Well, here's what Dr. Fauci said uh, when he was asked about that on CNN uh, on one of the Sunday shows. I think the reality not the rhetoric, but the reality is that the people who need things will get what they need. There's the reality and the rhetoric. I think that, I mean, I know the spirit of the task force and when we talk about when people need things, doesn't matter who they are, we try to get them what they need. 
That was Dr. Fauci. Now, here's CNN over the weekend on on a list of things that we need to know about what the president uh, is doing and what the truth is out there. And, And he says this. His petty beefs with governors can have a real-world effect on the distribution of federal resources, and their link is to Gretchen Whitmer's claim that the president denied resources to Michigan because she was critical of him. And again, there is no—this is CNN running this as a news analysis, not an opinion piece, but a news analysis— And there's no proof. And Gretchen Whitmer has now walked away from the claim on CNN, no less. And yet CNN is still running this, uh, that that what the president, what what the president's beefs are with governors can have a real world effect on the distribution of federal resources. This is this is nuts. It's simply not true. It is not true in any way, shape or form. And yet they are committed to it as truth, which is deeply, deeply problematic. Uh, very problematic in, uh, in this regard. They're setting a narrative about the president that comports to the president they envision, the, the petty partisan who turns everything into a rally and copiously drops the same adverbs and adjectives over and over again. They demanded that the president grow up. The president has grown. The president has shown real leadership in the last several weeks. It's reflected in the polling, and now they're upset about that. The president is willing to move on, and yet the the media wants to go back and, and fight the same petty grievances. I, I don't want to play the clip for you. I, I didn't even uh, get the clip cut, but uh, PBS's White House reporter wanted to replay all of the president's prior statements. It wasn't just her, though. Jim Acosta did the same thing. He and the president had this exchange at the White House. Go ahead. Let's give it a shot. Uh, what do you say to Americans who are upset with you over the way you downplayed this crisis over the last couple of months? Uh, we have it very much under control in this country. The coronavirus is very much under control in the USA. It's going to disappear. It's like a miracle. It will disappear. Uh, at March 4th, uh, we have a very small number of people in this country infected. March 10th, we're prepared. We're doing a great job with it. It will go away. Just stay calm. It will go away. What do you well, say to Americans who believe that you got this wrong? And I do want them to stay calm. And we are doing a great job. If you look at those individual statements, they're all true. Stay calm. Uh, it will go away. You know it, you know it is going away. And it will go away. And we're going to have a great victory. And it's people like you and CNN that say things like that, that uh, it's why people just don't want to listen to CNN anymore. You could ask a normal question. The statements I made are, I want to keep the country calm. I don't want panic in the country. I could cause panic much better than even you. I could do much. I would make you look like a minor league player. But you know what? I don't want to do that. I want to have our country be calm and strong and fight and win. And it will go away. And it is incredible, the job that all of these people are doing, putting them all together, the job that they're doing. I am very proud of the job they're doing, that Mike Pence is doing, that the task force has done, that Honeywell and Procter and & Gamble and Mike and all of these people have done. I'm very proud. It's, it's almost a miracle, and it is, the way it's all come together. And instead of asking a nasty, snarky question like that, you should ask a real question. <laughs> I, I I love that he did that. Uh, I, I actually do. I think it's very, very funny. Uh, and, and I don't have a problem with the president going after a cost for that. But the reason is because of this. 
it it doesn't seem to be clear to anyone in the media, but to normal people who don't hate the president, who who they may not care for the guy. I mean, I'm I'm in that boat. I'm 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 not a fan. I'll vote for him in November because uh, the the alternative from the Democrats is just horrifying to me uh, on, on the life issue and so much more. Uh, but I I'm I, I drove past a house last night, as a matter of fact, that had a big Trump flag in the front yard. And I'm like, I, I, I never did that to, I, I never do that to any politician. Uh, and certainly not to, not to Donald Trump. Um, I'm voting for the guy. Uh, we have a cordial conversation. We used to not, we, we've got a cordial conversation. I'm a huge fan of the vice president. I, the vice president has actually been a personal friend of mine for more than a decade, a uh, big fan of his. Uh, and, and I do get along with the president and, and i like a lot of his policies, not all of them, but a lot of the president's policies I, I, I like, but one of the things I, I I've, understand about the president is when he says things like we're going to beat this uh we're, we're going to have a few deaths we're not going to have a lot of deaths we're going to move on the virus is going to go away that is the president of the united states trying to keep people from panicking at a time the media is actually working very hard to make people panic the media has done a very good job of terrifying people, uh, binding people to the two to four million deaths. I, I have spent, and you know, I'm in a weird position here because I, I spent a lot of time trying to explain to people where the two to four million deaths came from and also reassuring people that that's not going to happen. And I get hate mail from people uh, saying that I'm scaring people by by embracing the claim, which I'm not. And I get hate mail from people saying I'm, I'm being too dismissive of the claim. People hear what they want to hear, and, and I, I, as a radio show host, I, I long ago came to acknowledge people are stupid, and, and people hear what they want to hear. And the amount of hate mail I get from people on a daily basis over this modeling issue and defending the modeling uh, is, is almost, uh, I mean, it, it, if I wasn't a grounded person who had a wife and children, I would probably lose my mind and go insane. Um, it, 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 the... I got actually hate mail yesterday from someone who wanted to know if I was ever going to come on. He wasn't going to ever listen again unless I came on air and apologized for telling people two to four million people were going to die. And I did not go back through and pull the audio from the show, but I did actually send him several links to what I had written on Facebook and what I had written um, on, on the resurgent pointing out that I said that, the models say two to four million people will die if we do nothing, but we're doing something, so it's not going to happen. And, and the guy was absolutely not placated at all. Now, he just wanted to be a jerk, I'm sure, at that point, uh, refusing to acknowledge that he had gotten it wrong, not me. But the media does that, too, with the president. It is clear to me and pretty much everyone else that what the president is doing is trying to calm people down. It is an unusual time. And the man is trying to be a comforter in chief. And you can say he does a terrible job at it. I might agree with you. But I recognize what the president of the United States is trying to do. And the way the media has processed it is he's lying. Because the media processes everything about the president as he's lying. Uh, the media processes everything by this president as he's not truthful. And the media processes everything by the president as he's misleading people. As opposed to, here's a man who recognizes that the United States is in a crisis that we have not seen since 1918. And even then, it wasn't a national crisis because the country did not have the national media we have now. And we were also in World War I. So people were much more focused on that than a Spanish global Spanish flu pandemic. 
and the president is hearing reporters on television come on and say two to four million people are going to die globally from this virus. 150 million Americans are going to be infected, which isn't true. That's what the model showed would happen if we didn't do anything. And that's why we're doing something. So it's not going to happen. And so the president's out trying to tell people, calm down. It's not that bad. And the media can't handle that. He's a liar. He's a liar. No, he's trying to get the markets from tanking, and he's trying to get people not to go insane thinking that they're all going to die. The media keeps wanting the president to move on, and yet the media, when he does move on, feels compelled to anchor him to the past. And I I, I, I genuinely, I'm, I'm frustrated because I shouldn't have to spend every show going after the media. And I've got a real concern here because there are good reporters and there is good reporting. And I've even found on my radio show here, I've had this happen uh, since this show started in August, where I've referenced a story in the New York Times and I've had a caller call in and say, well, how can we know it's true? It's the New York Times. And that's part of the media's problem now. And I, I half the time have to defend the media and the reporting to the media because they occasionally do get it right. And there are reporters who do a good job and particularly local reporters around the country do a very good job in very hard economic times. My local paper here in Macon has just been been decimated by their parent company, McClatchy. Used to be an outstanding paper with a lot of local reporters covering a lot of good stuff. Uh, and, and the paper is all but shriveled up. Um, their online site, along with the, the Columbus Inquirer, that they they share the same parent company, and, and it, it's terrible. You got to rely more and more on the AJC, and I got to get to the AJC and and what they're doing with Governor Kemp here, here later in the show, which I find appalling. But I spend half my time these days having to defend the media from people who've decided you can't believe anything you read, and the other half critiquing the media for all the bad stuff they're doing. And I would much prefer to move on. And, and the people in the press have no level of self reflection. I have never seen a people as obsessed about themselves and so incapable of self-reflection as the National American Press Corps. And I get all the time from from liberals, you need to take the media, you're you're part of the media. Well, I've started telling people, you know, I'm in the press, I'm in in the media, not in the press, I'm, I'm in the media, but I'm not of the media. And it is the people who are of the media who I think are, 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 willfully harming themselves, their reputation, and and their ability to get out truth, largely because they're so invested in taking down the president much more than they are in just telling people what's going on in the world. Uh, So, uh, you know, I can't go to the gym, and I want to make sure that my my gym is still operating when I'm, when I get out of the house. So I've been continuing to pay my monthly membership fee. Uh, I go to a, a, it's, it's, they call it, I guess, a training facility. It was a CrossFit place and they've expanded it a little more. Uh, Steven, the guy who runs it, it's awesome. Um, if you're in Macon and you know, the, um, the, the river crossing or whatever they call it mall, the new mall people in Macon call it uh, right behind there. There's a place called the towel training facility. Fantastic place. Uh, and I, I'd been going for years to a wonderful guy who's a trainer in town. Uh, absolutely adore him. Uh, but my schedule with doing this show made it impossible for me to keep going to him. And he also does a, a, a repair business for equipment. And just I, we could not align schedules at the time. So I, I, I took several months off of going to the gym and just kept getting fatter and finally decided I needed to go back and I found this place. And so I pay extra so that I can go in with this guy and I spend an hour with him and he kills me. Uh, and he's fantastic, and 
I'm still paying even though I'm not going because I want to make sure he's still in business when we can all get out of our house again. And so today he sent me workouts to do in my house. And I may not be here tomorrow. I may kill myself <laughs> doing burpees and box jumps. God help me. Um, I also, I, I, I'm, I'm doing this as well to my, my I, I, I've been going to a barber up in Atlanta and my, my wife and I, we go to a lady here, but when I go to Atlanta, there's a place up there that I like to go to. The guys are great. I'm in seminary with one of the, with the owner of the place. And so I sent them some money last night, uh, just to make sure that they're, they're able to still be in business. And, and I'm trying if, if God's blessing me, I'm trying to be a blessing to other people right now. Cause I want to make sure that these places are in business when we're all allowed out of our houses again, we're We've kind of made a conscious effort as a family as much as we can to do DoorDash and and eat out with restaurants. And we've got a Mexican restaurant by our house that I dearly love, and they have just closed the door completely. And it's just it's heartbreaking to me because I ate there probably three times a week uh, to go or, or in in dining. And, and now the, the poor margaritas is, is closed. Although somebody told me that they were permanently closed, and I reached out to the owners, and they said, no, they're, they're just closing up until – um, and later in April, uh, they're going in and they're doing a deep clean and then they hope to be able to reopen. I, I sure hope so. I hate seeing all of these local businesses so impacted by what's going on. And I realize it's necessary, but I also think if we're all sheltered in place for more than a few weeks, I think people are going to stop taking it seriously. It's very eye-opening to me that in the Atlanta area in particular, you've got a lot of people who don't like Brian Kemp who have been bashing him for not shutting the whole place down. Uh, and yet they're already shut down. There's a shelter in place order in the city of Atlanta, and they're not even adhering to that. And yet they want the governor to do more than that. Uh, I and, and, you know, by the way, I, I do firmly believe that by the time we get to, say, 2022, Nobody's really going to hold the governor's handling of the virus against him. And there were some initial projections that Georgia could see 27,000 deaths. And the state's not going to have near that. Uh, maybe a thousand people, maybe, maybe in the state of Georgia, maybe a thousand people, uh, most of them over 60 will die. I, I realize I haven't done the audit trail in the first hour. I will do it uh, when we get to the next hour. But, you know, there are still a number of counties out there that not that many left that don't have any cases. But I'm um, pulling up the map now. Rabin, Towns, Union, Walker, Elbert, Oglethorpe. Uh, Tolliver, Hancock, Putnam, Glasscock, Screven. No, but does anybody even live in Screven County? I'm kidding, kidding. Um, Emanuel County, uh, Wilkinson County, Crawford County, Marion County, Webster County, Stewart County, Quitman County, Grady County, Eccles County, Atkinson County, Lanier County, Wilcox County. Jeff Davis County, Wayne County, and, and Brantley County. Those, those counties have no coronavirus cases uh, at all. Uh, also, yeah, I, I mentioned Evans County uh, and Trutland County. They, they don't have any COVID-19 cases. Now, that may change at noon today. They may update. Uh, increasingly, it looks like most counties will, but there will be a few counties that don't. And there was a... a recorded phone call and I've got the audio I want to play you parts of it 
of a doctor from Emory University, Dr. Del Rio, who painted a scenario of 27,000 deaths in Georgia. And it got the Georgia Municipal Association spooked enough that these guys are screaming for Brian Kemp to save them from themselves and shut down the entire state. But the doctor himself said in the interview that he wasn't really concerned about rural parts of Georgia. He was concerned about places like Augusta and, and Columbus and Savannah and Albany and Atlanta and Athens. And I want to play you parts of his audio, and I'm going to get to it later. When we come back, though... I want to get into, one, the Kennedy Center situation, and also the pastors and the churches that are affected. You know, there, there's a pastor down in Florida who's gone to jail for having a church service, and believe it or not, yes, my friends, there's a Tiger King connection. <laughs> oh, I started, y'all, I don't even know what I'm watching, but oh my goodness gracious. Uh, I, I, this, this is insane. I haven't, it's a 45, there are seven 45 minute episodes. I am not even through the first one. I started a little bit last night and then realized what time it was, but it is the most insane thing I have ever seen. And I'm, I'm like 20, 30 minutes into a 45 minute episode. And this thing is crazy crazy but i promised i'd start watching it i didn't realize there were a bunch of episodes though i thought it was one big documentary well i'm getting into it we'll discuss that as well but there is a tiger king connection when we come back hello and welcome it is eric erickson here across the state of georgia thank you for joining me the phone number if you would like to be a part of the program is 877-97-ERIC 877-973-7425 uh, you can also get me on social media, E.W. Erickson. You should be following me on Instagram. Those of you who have Instagram, E.W. Erickson, E-W-E-R-I-C-K-S-O-N, uh, you'll like me most there. <laughs> I'm making sourdough, by the way. Uh, now, my friend Ann uh, reached out through a... Um, through a, a mutual friend, she apparently, and I did not realize this, makes uh, fantastic sh sourdough bread and offered to give me some sourdough. And, and I declined because I'm making my own. I've, I've always wanted to. And I, I travel so much that I never have because I figured it would die uh, while I was gone. And we were headed to vacation this week. I was supposed to be in Hilton Head this week and now obviously not going. And I, I I wanted, I really, really, really wanted to do it. I've been wanting to for a while, and I tried a while back and, and just got frustrated and wound up not doing it uh, with one my mother-in-law makes that uses potato flakes. And I, I finally decided, you know what, by God, I'm, I'm quarantined, sheltered in place in my house. I'm going to make sourdough. And so I've got my starter. I started it on Saturday. I should be able to bake bread by the end of the week, and I am looking very forward to being able to do it. Um, we'll, we'll get there eventually. Now, let me give you the audit uh, for where we are. Uh, this was updated last night. It has not yet been updated today. It will be updated at noon, but as of last night, 773 hospitalizations in Georgia, 102 deaths, and the total number of infections is 3,032. Uh, and oh my goodness, I, I just actually, thank you, Bill, for emailing me. I had not noticed. I didn't even have my radar on. Uh, there is a tornado watch for middle and Southwest Georgia until 4 PM. Uh, and I'm glad I didn't let me pull up the radar. Oh my goodness gracious. Uh, yes. 
I'm glad I got the email because, you know, it's not raining at my house right now. It's certainly cloudy. I knew the rain was coming in later, but man, I I'm glad to get that. There is no rain in the Macon area right now where I am, but holy moly, uh, over in, in Alabama, you've got a severe thunderstorm warnings, uh, right there just to the west of LaGrange and it's headed to LaGrange and up north of I-20, uh, it's gar, if you're north of I-85, put it to you that way, if you live in Georgia and you're north of I-85, uh, you got rain, uh, it is coming down in Rome right now and Dalton and Jasper and Clarksville and Blue Ridge and LJ, it, it is, it is headed over all the way, those you, you people over in Rabin County, one day I'm come, going up to Clayton, by the way. Uh, there is a store up in Clayton uh, called Wander North Georgia, and I follow them on Instagram, and I want to go there. I just, I want to go up. I want to go to Lake Rabin. I've never been up there, uh, but they, up in Rabin County, they're, cl they're clear right now, but they're about to get smacked. Uh, Clarksville, you are on the, the edge. I mean, let me, let me update my radar Clarksville in uh, less than 15 minutes. You're going to have rain and in less than an hour, you're going to have heavy rain. Those of you in the Athens area, you're going to get it as well, but it's going to be, let's see, uh, let me do. So I got this fancy meteorological package. There's a story there. I can't tell you, uh, 55 miles to the due West of Athens is a pretty terrible thunderstorm and it is headed your way. Uh, those of us down in middle and South Georgia, we're going to get it as well. Uh, it's already sprinkling down in Tifton and the Albany area. Uh, you're going to be getting it here soon. It is raining on Lake Eufaula. Poor old Philip uh, couldn't be out there on his bass boat today, given the lightning. Now, glad to know that. Let me give you the audit trail. County by county around the state, uh, 503 cases in Fulton, 294 in DeKalb, 278 in Doherty, 250 in Cobb, 178 in Gwinnett, 125 in Bartow, 97 in Carroll County. Let me pause there. Uh, Carrollton is where my in-laws live, and there's a shelter-in-place order in Carroll County. The hospital there is overwhelmed. Tanner Medical in Carrollton is just absolutely overwhelmed with cases. Last Sunday night, my father-in-law called me and said, it's going to be in the news tomorrow that we have seven cases in Carrollton. That was last Sunday. There are now 97 cases, if, if you want an, a sense of just how contagious the disease is. There are 69 in Cherokee County, 68 in Henry County, 62 in Clayton County, 47 in Clark County, 44 in Lee County, 43 in Douglas County, 42 in Fayette County, four, uh, 37 in Coweta, 36 in Forsyth, 34 in Hall, 31 in Floyd, 29 in Rockdale, 26 in Houston, 26 in Paulding, 22 in Newton, 21 in Lowndes, 20 in Early, 20 in Terrell, 19 in Chatham, that's Savannah, 19 in Tift, 17 in Glen, Richardson and Sumter, 16 in Bibb and Mitchell, Bibb is where I am, Macon, 15 in Gordon and Troop, 14 in Columbia, Muskogee, Polk and Spalding, 13 in Lawrence, that's Dublin, 12 in Oconee and Worth, 10 in Coffee, 9 in Barrow, 8 in Crisp and Whitfield, 7 in Bryan, Colquitt, Dawson, Peach, Seminole, and Thomas, 6 in Butts, Calhoun, Decatur, Merriweather, and Pickens, 5 in Miller, Upson, Walton, and Ware, 4 in Burke, Camden, Effingham, Franklin, Harrelson, Harris, Liberty, Lincoln, Lumpkin, and Murray, 3 in Baldwin, Ben Hill, Catoosa, Chattooga, do Dooley, Fanning, Green, Irwin, Lamar, Madison, Monroe, Pulaski, Randolph, Stevens, and Turner. Two in Appling, Dodge, Hart, 
Jackson, Jasper, Jones, McDuffie, Pierce, Pike, Tattnall, Taylor, Toombs, Twiggs, Warren, Washington, and Wilkes. And one in Bacon, Bacon, <laughs> Bacon, 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 Baker, Banks, Berrien, Bleckley, Brooks, Bullock, Candler, Charlton, Chattahoochee, Clay, Clinch, Cook, Dade, Gilmer, Hurd, Jeff Davis, Jefferson, Jenkins, Johnson, Long, Macon, McIntosh, Morgan, Sly, Talbot, Wheeler, White, and there are 114 in counties. We don't know uh, the counties where the people live. Now, the average age of people dying is over 60. There's a smattering of people, for example, in DeKalb County, there is um, one person who is 31. He had underlying conditions and he died. Um, most every single person who died has an underlying medical condition. Some we don't know about, but almost all of them had an underlying medical condition. Of those who had no underlying medical conditions, uh, there's an 89-year-old female in athens Clark County who died. A 67-year-old male in Cobb County who died. A 56-year-old male in Cobb County who died. Um, a 66-year-old male in Douglas County who died. And that's it. Uh, all of the other of the um, of the 102 deaths. That's 3.36% mortality rate of the 102 deaths. There are one, two, three. Four, four people that we know of for sure had no underlying health conditions, all of them 65, 66 and older. Uh, that gives you the, kind of the percentages of what we're dealing with here. Now, the importance here, though, is that there are people under 60 who are getting infected and dying here. Uh, there's a 47-year-old male from Clayton. Uh, there is a 45-year-old female from Darty County. There's a 48-year-old female from Early County. There's a 33-year-old male from Fulton County who appears to be the youngest person in Georgia. Nope, nope, I take that back. Oh, there, uh, there's a 49-year-old male in Lee County. Uh, this is the youngest, a 29-year-old female in Peach County. We do not know if she had underlying medical conditions. And there's a 48-year-old male in Worth County who died. Uh, so certainly the bulk of deaths are over the age of 65, but there are certainly people under 65 who are dying from the disease in Carrollton, or in Carrollton, in, in, in Georgia. Uh, in Carroll County, there's been one death so far. The bulk of the deaths have come from Doherty County, uh, where the infections run wild now. 278 uh, cases in Doherty County. That's Albany. Uh, and related to Albany is in Lee County, the suburbs. There are 44 cases there and six deaths. Um, the, the death toll, just to give you an idea of counties, uh, 16 in Fulton, 3 in DeKalb, 18 in Doherty, 11 in Cobb. Two in Gwinnett, uh, six in Lee County, five in Clark County, that's Athens, three in Fayette County, and, and most of the other counties, no deaths or, or one or two, overwhelmingly no deaths. Um, there's your audit for the, the counties. And the reason I'm going through this is, is I do think it's really important that you understand, again, and, and to be slightly repetitive, because I keep running into people who don't get it, the reason we're all locked down as we are is not because they're afraid that all of us are going to die. The problem is that our hospital systems are maxed out. My wife, I, I'm, I'm doing the show from my house, and my wife is upstairs right now in her sewing room, and she is doing her best to sew masks, 
and so uh, mostly masks for doctors and nurses. Now, the masks she's making are not masks with filtration in them. They're just cloth masks. And the federal government is asking people who can do that, who are capable of doing that, to do that for local hospitals. And the reason is because they are in short supply of disposable masks right now at hospitals around the country, particularly here in Georgia. Uh, there's a short supply. Now, the supply is coming online. Uh, Haynes Corporation, New Balance Corporation, and several others are stepping up to make masks. Brooks Brothers announced this morning it's going to be making several million masks as well, and they'll have filtration in them. They'll be more than the cloth mask, but right now they need the cloth masks to go over their disposable masks because uh, under medical protocol, every time you visit with the patient, you move your mask down, you're supposed to throw your mask away and get a new one. Well, there, there aren't enough. So they're having to wear the same mask the entire day. And what people are doing now, including my wife, is they're making cloth masks that can be worn over the disposable mask. And between visits, you can take off the cloth mask, put it in a bag. Uh, it can go be washed and reworn the next day. But there's a problem there. My wife has been making these masks, and all of the craft stores are now sold out of elastic because everyone's stepping up to make these masks. Elastic is now in short supply. I think I mentioned I went by Joanne's uh, in Macon last week to get her some extra elastic to be able to make these masks, and they were sold out. A local hospital, they didn't tell me which one, but a local hospital had come in and bought up their entire supply of elastic that morning before I got there. I was on radio and, and wasn't able to get out until right after the show, and their their local supply is is maxed out. And the reason is because the local hospitals are finding people to make these masks for them uh, so that the doctors and nurses aren't throwing away the disposable masks. It is a real uh, shortage. You, you think you got problem finding toilet paper, uh, try finding a surgical or, or a just a standard hospital mask right now. And now there's a, a big movement. Scott Gottlieb from the American Enterprise Institute used to be the head of the FDA, and, and he's encouraging the FDA and the CDC to change course on wearing masks. Uh, the, the, the guidance from the federal government has been for people in public not to wear masks, that they don't do as much good, and doctors and nurses need them. And that's very true right now. Doctors and nurses do need them more than you and me. Uh, but there is now starting to be some reassessment that maybe we could get people out of their houses earlier if we got people in the habit of wearing masks. So when you go in public, you wear a mask, and if you're not infected— it does decrease your odds of getting infected, although not not of major significance. It, it slightly decreases. But if you are infected and don't know it, it rapidly decreases your ability to transmit the disease. And that's part of the problem is they got to is is it's the people who you can go 14 days without symptoms. I mentioned in the first hour, um, I've got a friend of mine. I talked to him this past Tuesday. Uh, and he wasn't feeling great, uh, had, had been diagnosed with pneumonia, but it just seemed like regular pneumonia. And the doctor nonetheless sent him for a test. Uh, by Wednesday, he was in ICU, and they didn't think he was going to make it by Friday. Thankfully, he turned a quarter. I, I mean, I got a text from him last night and said, I, I'm, I've been in the ICU. I, I wasn't supposed to make it past Friday. That's how quickly the virus turned. And it, it's, it's, we still don't, there's so much about the virus we don't understand. There's so much about it we don't understand. Now, for some people, they go without any symptoms and they can infect other people. For some people, they have very, very mild symptoms. And for a lot of people, the symptoms are like a bad case of the flu, and that's considered a mild case. And then for 20% of people, that's hospitalization. And, and there again leads me to this point. The issue is not that the government is afraid you're going to get the virus and die. 
The issue is that 20% of people who get the virus need hospitalization. In Georgia, actually, the number is 25%. So if 10,000 of us get the virus, we will overwhelm hospital capacity given the people already in the hospital, the people who have the regular flu and are going to the hospital, and the people who have the virus. And then 3% are going to die. And so they desperately want to avoid that at all costs, which is why they want you to stay home. And unfortunately, young people we are increasingly aware of are getting the virus, have no symptoms, and they're infecting older people. And it's not good that in the city of Atlanta, there's a shelter-in-place order, and all the young people who live in Midtown and Downtown Atlanta have ignored the shelter-in-place order, and they're out and about on the Beltline and in Piedmont Park or going out to Lake Oconee and hanging out on the lake on a, or Lake Lanier on a boat, and they're going to get infected and not even know it and spread it to other people. That is the biggest fear of the government right now is people not staying home when they should stay home. You know, it, there's also this movement among local officials that the governor needs to do more. And the governor's position is, why don't local governments do more? Clark County did more. Atlanta did more. Darty County did more. Bibb County did more. Muskogee County did more. Let your local government step up as well. Uh, it just, it, it's, it's amazing to see the number of people who want Brian Kemp to be their nanny as opposed to doing the right thing themselves. I am watching the rain spread out across the state of Georgia right now. Uh, be careful out there. If you're in the Rome area, you've got your, it's already raining, but you've got a line of even heavier rain that'll be impacting you here in the next 30 minutes. Uh, it is lighter the further you get to Chattanooga up 75. Uh, those of you in the Dalton area, you're going to start getting lighter rain here in a little bit. Uh, if you're listening in the Jasper area, well, you've got heavy, intense rain coming your way, and Clarksville's just getting into it. It's going to get uh, heavier before it goes away. Athens, as well, is going to have some rain impacting you in a little while. Uh, all of us, it, it looks like, down to, to South Georgia, there's a uh, thunder, there's a tornado watch in effect until 4 p.m. today down in the south, middle and south part of the state. So just icky weather coming through. It, it This is the stuff that hit Arkansas the other day. Thankfully, it has weakened somewhat, uh, but it's still pretty strong, pretty powerful stuff. Uh, I, I mentioned there's a, there's a Tiger King connection to this uh, preacher who was arrested down in Florida. Have you heard about this, this church down in Florida? Uh, it's a big deal on the left, uh, and and th this church, I think, is doing a disservice to people of faith. And I, 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 I tread carefully in saying that because I know this is a sensitive issue for a lot of people of faith who think that the government should not be shutting down churches. And while I agree, in fact, uh, the mayor of New York has said that if churches meet in New York City, they're going to permanently shut down the churches, which is unconstitutional. But just so you understand, under constitutional law in the United States, if the government passes a, passes a law and it applies to everybody— then it applies to churches as well. Uh, if it's a if it's a law that singles out churches, it's unconstitutional. Uh, but if it's a law that um, if it's a law that applies to everyone in every organization, then it applies to churches as well. You can exempt churches 
from laws that apply to everyone, but you cannot write laws that apply only to churches. You can exempt churches from laws that apply to everyone, but you can also apply the law to churches that applies to everyone. And, and in Hillsborough County, Florida, they have ordered every entity to shut down uh, if people of 10 or more gather. And a church down there uh, has decided that the guy's on the president's uh, evangelical leadership team and all that, and he's decided to keep meeting. And they are having a massive outbreak of the virus down there. And, and for those of you who think this is no big deal, I, I want you to understand that in Bartow County, Georgia, they have been terribly hit by this virus. And then over in Evans, Georgia as well, they've been hit by the virus. And the whole reason Evans, Georgia has been largely impacted is because a lawyer in Evans, Georgia, went to Bartow County to bury his father and attended church in Bartow County. And uh, that church had infected people and no one realized it. And in Bartow County now, they've got 125 cases of the virus. One person is dead. Uh, and in Floyd County, uh, there are a number of cases in Floyd County as well. And several of the cases in Floyd County derive from that church in Bartow County. And in Evans County, in Evans, Georgia, the lawyer who went to church in Bartow went back to Evans and became infected and did not know it until the virus began to spread. And so you've got uh, multiple counties in Georgia where the virus has been spreading and people are dying now uh, because they all got together in a church service down in, in um, Darty County. The reason Darty County has been so hard hit is a preacher, and, and I want to say it was two funeral services this preacher preached, and he was infected. And multiple people from these funerals got infected and spread it in the community. That's how contagious this virus is. And this guy in Florida, you know, God's not going to save you from being an idiot. He may spare you from being an idiot, but it's not guaranteed he's going to spare you from being an idiot. Also, remember while you're texting, text the word DATA to 33777. Uh, you just you go to your text messaging app. The phone number is 33777, and you text just the one word DATA, D-A-T-A, and I'll send you back a link. Uh, and the link goes to a Substack page that I am curating, so to speak, and it just has all the useful links that you need uh, to keep track of the virus that spread, the stimulus package, if you're a small businessman, a 501c3, uh, of you get 1099 income, you name it. It tracks all that stuff for you. It provides some other useful links uh, as well. And in particular, I, I got a text message from my pastor the other day asking if anybody had compiled all of the shelter-in-place orders and whatnot in the state. And the New York Times actually has done a very good job of that, believe it or not. And so that link is in there as well, so you can see state by state uh, where you're ordered to shelter-in-place, uh, different different counties and cities around the state of Georgia that are sheltered in place. Uh, there, There's a whole lot of that going on. So uh, I want to mention this Tiger King thing real quick because there's a, there's, there's a random connection to COVID-19. <laughs> okay. Uh, now, now Charlie, you should know my producer here, uh, is, is refusing to watch this show because everybody else is watching it. My wife is in the same boat because everybody else is doing it. They're refusing to do it. Um, in fact, both of them admit that if they didn't have to breathe oxygen, they would not share air with, uh, mouth breathers of America. So, uh, they're, they're very much, it's, it's kind of spooky. Uh, 
Um, but nonetheless, they're refusing to watch it. Uh, I myself decided last night to start watching as I promised you I would. And the thing is insane. I'm not even through the first episode. It's seven 45 minute episodes. I am not through the first one. And it is insane. Uh, it is about a guy who Joe Maldonado, who collected tigers among other things. And, uh, he, he's in jail now and he had a rival uh, and the rival, her husband disappeared and tiger Joe, as people call him, uh, decided she was the competition. He was going to spread the rumor that she murdered her husband and the Netflix producers are, are under fire for taking it seriously that this woman's husband disappeared in 1989. No one has seen or heard from him since or 1987. I think I'm, uh, 1997. No one has seen or heard from him since. Well, it turns out uh, that because of all the publicity, the sheriff uh, of, of Hillsborough County, Florida, Chad uh, Cronister, is trying to get publicity based on the Netflix series to figure out what happened. Uh, and the, the, the theory advanced in this documentary is that Carol fed her husband to her tigers. He has not been seen since 1997. And, and Tiger Joe has been amplifying the rumor that she murdered her husband. Uh, she and her third husband resent like hell the, the insinuation, but nonetheless, uh, there you have it. Well, turns out that Chad Cronister, the sheriff, who is now trying to find out what happened to this woman's husband, is the same sheriff who arrested the pastor in Florida for the megachurch congregational meeting. Now, I got some thoughts on this. First of all, you should know that in New York City, Samaritan's Purse, which is the Franklin Graham ministry, Samaritan's Purse is all over the world right now, including in Italy, setting up field hospitals with volunteer doctors uh, to relieve the efforts of many of the hospitals that are overwhelmed. And the mayor of New York has allowed Samaritan's Purse to build a field hospital in Central Park to help New York City. You will not be surprised to learn that progressives in New York City are outraged. Uh, Gothamist, which is a website that chronicles uh, the, the comings and goings of New York City, has a, this is the headline, Group Behind Central Park Coronavirus Tent Hospital Asks Volunteers to Support Anti-Gay Agenda. On Tuesday morning, a makeshift tent hospital in Central Park will begin treating overflow patients from Mount Sinai as the spread of COVID-19 begins to overwhelm local hospitals. Announcing the 68-bed respiratory unit this weekend, Mayor Bill de Blasio, de Blasio praised the relief organization Samaritan's Purse, responsible for funding and erecting the facility. The mayor did not mention that the group is led by Franklin Graham, a notorious anti-LGBTQ and Islamophobic preacher with a track record of using humanitarian missions to proselytize an evangelical agenda. Graham, the son of prominent minister Billy Graham, has specifically sought to recruit Christian medical staff to the Central Park facility. According to the group's website, all volunteers, including healthcare workers, should read and adhere to a statement of faith in which marriage 
is defined as exclusively the union of one genetic male and one genetic female, and the unrighteous are sentenced to everlasting punishment in hell. Asked whether the mayor's office considers this problematic, a city hall spokesperson said the field hospital will operate as a Mount Sinai facility and must adhere to the hospital's policy against discrimination. The spokesperson did not say whether the city was concerned that volunteers on the project are expected to agree with the group's anti-gay faith statement. Some New Yorkers said they were leery of receiving care from a fundamentalist group whose members believe their sexual orientation is sinful. Well, it's not that they believe it, it's that the Bible says so. Um, and are they, are they not going to take, oh, I don't want the Christians to help me. This is, you know, one of the things I, I, I was commenting last night with the family, you know, I, I've gotten some hate mail because I made the statement uh, somewhat flippantly on the show the other day that I have looked to figure out uh, how the uh, virus is impacting the other 57 genders and all I can find is how it's impacting men and women. And I got some hate mail from that the other day. And I also got some hate mail because I was was uh, mocking a story in Vice that they're upset that that transition surgeries are considered elective by some hospitals. And some hospitals are not doing uh, transition surgeries for men who want to become women or women who want to become men because they're considered elective. And as a result of being considered elective, uh, they don't want them in the hospital right now. And I, I, I said on this program last week that, you know, uh, this virus is attacking men more than women. So I'm, I'm somewhat sympathetic to the men who decide they want to have some surgery and become a woman and try to escape the virus. Well, that got me hate mail. And now here comes the story. And you notice how they put all this on hold. All this stuff gets put on hold. Uh, in, in moments of crisis, no one really cares that you consider yourself a, a, a pansexual who's married to your violin. No one really cares about you right now. Uh, we're much more interested in the virus. And, and in fact, a lot of these people are, are having to come to terms with reality where, where uh, viruses care about uh, men and women. They don't care about your, your uh, asexual or non-binary or whatever the hell you want to call it stuff that isn't really important in moments of crisis because it, it, it's all a bunch of, of social wokeness that doesn't really affect the real world. It's just your self-esteem, whatever. Uh, people are dying and you're concerned that people are giving you enough credit it's, it's just it's just lunacy run amok and now they want to attack samaritan's purse for helping the relief effort in new york city because by god samaritan's purse believes jesus died for you and rose again from the dead how dare they believe that stuff well you know you would think they would want to be treated and, and why there's a story this goes back uh nine years ago ten years ago now from the guardian and a friend of mine pointed me to it on twitter last night Terminally ill patients would be well advised to find out the religious beliefs of their doctor. According to research showing the effect of faith on a doctor's willingness to make decisions that could hasten death. Doctors who are atheist or agnostic are twice as likely to take decisions that might shorten the life of someone who is terminally ill as doctors who are deeply religious and doctors with strong religious convictions are less likely even to discuss such decisions with the patient, according to Professor Clive Seal from the Center for Health Sciences at Barts and the London School of Medicine and Dentistry. If I was a patient facing end-of-life care, 
I would want to know what my doctor's views were on religious matters, whether they're non-religious or religious, and whether the doctor felt that would influence them in the kinds of decisions they were looking for, said Seal. A patient who wants their life prolonged at all costs, even in the event of terminal illness, or did not want it prolonged, should make sure they have a doctor who was in sympathy with this. Doctors are influenced by their beliefs, just like other people. It's easy for clinicians to present themselves as neutral appliers of science, but values do come into it, Seal said. This is accepted in abortion care, but the issue has not been widely discussed in the care of the dying. I had a general physician who was powerfully committed to not legalizing euthanasia. He's now changed his uh, status. Sewell's study, published online in the Journal of Medical Ethics, was based on a survey of doctors and specialisms likely to care for people at the end of life, such as neurology, elderly, and palliative care, but also general practice. More than 8,500 doctors were contacted and 4,000 responded. The doctors were asked about the care of their last patient who died, if relevant, including whether they had provided continuous deep sedation until death and whether they had discussed decisions judged likely to shorten life with the patient. They were also asked their religious beliefs, ethnicity, and their views on assisted dying and euthanasia. More than 3,000 described the death of a patient. Specialists in the care of the elderly were somewhat more likely to be Hindu or Muslim, while palliative care doctors were somewhat more likely than other doctors to be Christians, white, and agree they were religious. The chances of a doctor making an ethically controversial decision expected or partly intended to end life was largely unrelated to the doctor's ethnicity, but was strongly related to his specialization. Specialized doctors in hospitals are 10 times as likely to report this than palliative care specialists. But regardless of their speciality, Doctors who describe themselves as extremely or very non-religious are twice as likely to report having taken these kinds of decisions. The most religious doctors were significantly less likely than other doctors to have discussed options to end the life of their patient. You know, I'm thinking about, I've now got several friends of mine who have this virus and uh, two of them uh, have been in ICU. The Christian doctor, according to the study, is more likely to hold out hope and continue to care for the person and believe they can make a recovery. It's the atheist doctor says, well, time to move on. The worms need food. <laughs> I mean, I don't want to be that. I shouldn't be that crass about it, but you get the point here. They're outraged that a group of Christians are building a field hospital in New York City when it's the Christian doctors who are most likely to, to extend a fighting chance for them to live. Y'all, come on now. That's just that 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 that's that's just something. Uh, do you really care? Do you really care that Christians are building a field? It, it actually it says more about the people who do care than it says about the Christians that somehow why are Christians supposed to abandon their belief? I don't care whether the person saving my life is gay, straight, transgender or not. I, I don't I don't care. They're trying to save my life. And the fact that it's a big deal for people in New York City, it, it, it's very much like the, I mean, it is a faith issue. It is a faith issue for these people, and, and that's that's a shame. Uh, by the way, I need to pause real quick and tell you something that's happening. There's a severe thunderstorm warning uh, that has broken out. Meriwether County in west-central Georgia, southern Carroll County in northwestern Georgia, 
Heard County in West Central Georgia, Troop County in West Central Georgia, and Coweta County in West Central Georgia. This severe thunderstorm warning is going to last until 11.30 a.m. At 10.30 a.m., a severe thunderstorm was located over Tennant uh, and Wadawi, moving east at 60 miles an hour. Uh, there is expected to be damage to roof, siding, and trees. If you are in Noonan, LaGrange, Franklin, Greenville, Peachtree City, Tyrone, Palmetto, Sonoya, Hoganville, Grantville, Woodbury, Luthersville, Whitesburg, Ephesus, uh, Central Hatchie, Moreland, Sharpsburg, Turin, Roopville, or Harrelson, you need to take shelter right now. There's also a tornado watch in effect until 4 o'clock p.m. for Central Georgia, West Central Georgia, South Georgia, and North Georgia right now. Uh, this is, I'm seeing the storm come across the Alabama. All these bad things come across the Alabama line. Have you, Auburn, Alabama, and storms, they always come across the line. <laughs> sorry, sorry, you Auburn people. You get very sensitive with me these days. Um, nonetheless, severe thunderstorm coming across. Uh, there's a line of showers actually will be impacting the middle Georgia area here, beginning to impact the uh, middle Georgia area here now as well. Thomaston in rain, it is headed towards Macon and Forsyth and Locust Grove up the interstate. I-75 in Middle Georgia about to be impacted as well. North Georgia continuing to be impacted. You people in Athens, you're going to be getting this rain here just like the rest of us in a few minutes. Clarksville, you're about to really get into the thick of it. But the fine folks in Rome, you're almost through it. There's some light sprinkling still in the area. But Rome and Dalton, God bless you. Y'all are going to be the first ones out of it. The rest of us are just about to get into it. Now, when we come back, we need to do a deep dive into an attack on Brian Kemp here in Georgia. Also, I will continue to take your phone calls. 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. Welcome back. It is 54 after the hour. If you're just tuning in, there is a severe thunderstorm warning in Carroll, Coweta, Heard, Merriweather, and Troop counties here in Georgia, uh, South Georgia. You are not spared here. Uh, lines of showers are moving in there as well into the Albany area. Uh, you won't get it as bad. It'll be worse north. The Americas area is going to have a, a wave coming in. Uh, the Forsyth uh, area, Monroe County here, you've got the storms are just now on the outskirts here in the Yatesville and Barnesville area. They're moving into Monroe County, Bibb County here very shortly, Crawford County as well, where, uh, down near where I am. North Georgia completely engulfed in the storm right now. Rome is on the way out of it. Athens on the way into it. Clarksville on the way into it as well. And up there into Rabin County, uh, getting into it right now as well. Heavier stuff coming. So I'll keep an eye on this. Uh, it, when we come back, I, I got to get into this coverage of the governor. I've got some audio from a Georgia Municipal Association meeting. And I need to play you the audio of parts of it and walk you through it. Um, it, it's very enlightening as to why there's a panic among mayors in the state of Georgia right now and why so many Democrats in the state are beginning to attack Brian Kemp. But before we get there, Garrett Kell is a pastor up in Alexandria, Virginia, and he has posted Zoom commandments. Now, for those of you who have no idea what Zoom is, Zoom is a video uh, conferencing platform, and a lot of businesses are now using Zoom to conduct face-to-face -face meetings. In fact, my gym... 
uh, is using Zoom for workouts. And it's a CrossFit facility, and they're doing the CrossFit workouts on Zoom so everybody can still be together as a class. Uh, thank God I pay to go one-on-one. Uh, so I don't have to do, nobody wants to see my fat behind doing burpees. I'm just going to tell you that now, uh, here is the, the 10 zoom commandments. Thou shalt not sit under a light with a fan, lest you incite others to have seizures. Thou shalt wear clothes. If your camera is on cover your nakedness, which reminds me, have y'all seen the video? It's gone viral. The poor woman in Italy who was on a business call and it was a video conference and she was dressed up to be on the call. And here comes her husband in his soccer Jersey t-shirt and his tidy whitey underwear, uh, walking past the camera and gets halfway through, realizes the camera is on and he's in his underwear and jumps so quick to get the camera. He winds up falling over. <laughs> I was like there, but by the grace of God, um, Thou shalt mute yourself thyself if you are not speaking, especially if you have sniffles or gas. Thou shalt not sit in front of a light-filled window unless you're in the witness protection program. If thou shalt go to the bathroom, take not others with you, love thy neighbor. Thou shalt not private message someone gossip. The host and God get to see the transcript afterwards. Warn others if you're on a call, lest they defile the meeting with an unseemly appearance. Zoom not with someone else in the same room. The echo is an abomination. Eat not with your microphone on. It is an abomination. Be not content with screen time. Face-to-face -face is better. Amen. I, I hope there is, that last one, I really do hope there is a renewed appreciation after we're all out of our houses that face-to-face, that -face, in-person time matters. I had this conversation yesterday with a friend of mine about church and how badly he is missing his church community. And we were both noting it's probably those of you who are in a church and you just don't really miss it. Uh, probably a sign that you haven't built a strong community within your church and you either need to do that or, or maybe go find a church wherein you can build real community, that uh, community matters. And uh, particularly if you're a faith, your church community should matter a lot. Um, are you engaged with the live stream on Sundays? Are you watching the preacher? Are you out uh, coveting the sermons of other people instead of your pastor? The, these are all things that uh, you, you've got to you got to be mindful of because community really matters. It really does. When we come back, uh, we got to talk about uh, the AJC and the attacks on the governor from mayors around the state, and also the CEO of VidAngel is going to come by and discuss some live streaming options for people who are stuck at home that are actually family friendly for you and yours. Eric Erickson here. We'll be back. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here. The third hour of the show. How you doing? The phone number, if you want to be a part of the program, 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. Storms are moving through Georgia. Rain starting to come into uh, middle and south Georgia, uh, west Georgia. You got a severe thunderstorm warning in, in Carroll, Coweta, Heard, Merriweather, Troop counties. Uh, Rome is now out of the rain. Dalton is getting out of the rain as I speak. Uh, Jasper, you're still in it. Athens is about to get it. So is Macon. Uh, and Clarksville, you're going to be in it for a while. Those of you 
you up in, in the Clayton area in Rabin County, you're going to get even more of it coming in Hiawassee, Blue Ridge as well. By the way, did y'all hear the, um, so the North Georgia mountains, there have been a number of groups up there saying we need to limit cabin rentals and access. The hospitals up there are starting to be overwhelmed with people. And a bunch of people from the Atlanta area have decided to go to the mountains and hang out in the mountains and go to Lake Blue Ridge. And, uh, they are having serious, uh, concerns up there. Uh, Wait, someone from the White House is is emailing me. Let's see. Uh, this is, oh, the EPA uh, pushing this out right now. The Department of Transportation and the EPA uh, are pushing forward fuel economy standards right now. Uh, so life is going on uh, even in COVID-19. I want to get away from the national stuff and spend some time here on Georgia stuff. If you text the word data, to 33777, you're going to go to a, a link. Uh, you're going to get a link back, and it is to a, a ewerickson.substack.com, and it's, it's a page there. But if you click on the masthead, you'll be able to see what I'm about to go through with you. We need to talk about the Atlanta Journal-Constitution and its coverage of COVID-19 because it has taken a decidedly anti-Kemp political turn, and I, there's a problem with the way it's doing it. Um, the, the Atlanta Journal has relied on an expert at Emory on COVID-19. And the guy is an expert. He is an epidemiologist. He is world-renowned. Uh, and they have shaped its coverage based on this Dr. Del Rio. And in particular, in the last two weeks, they have shaped coverage of Brian Kemp's handling of the crisis in Georgia based on a conference call Dr. Del Rio had with the Georgia Municipal Association. And I want to play for you parts of that audio, and I'm going to do something I, I normally wouldn't do. Uh, I'm, I'm going to pull up the file, and I've marked timestamps, and I'm going to go through. And the reason I'm going to do it that way is I don't want to be accused of selectively editing. Uh, and I don't want to be – I didn't even ask Charlie to cut it up. Um, because I want to be able to go through and 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 talk about some of this stuff and and play uh, little pieces of it for you. But to understand just how much the AJC has relied on this doctor, uh, they have relied on the doctor uh, in articles published March tenth, March seventeenth, March twenty first, March twenty third, March twenty fifth, and yesterday there were one, two, three, four, five, six different articles that cited Doctor Del Rio from Emory. My point here going into this, by the way, is not to attack Dr. Del Rio. There are some points that need to be made, though. It was not until yesterday afternoon that the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, after relying on Dr. Del Rio in one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten pieces, it was not until yesterday afternoon they noted that Dr. Del Rio lent his name to the Stacey Abrams lawsuit against the government uh, over the 2018 election. He's not a plaintiff in the case. He's one of the people who allowed Fair Fight Georgia to use his name uh, because of exact match. Dr. Del Rio was able to vote in 2018. The odds are, if he's lending his name, though, to Fair Fight Action, he is not a Brian Kemp supporter. I mean, who reaches out to the Fair Fight Action people and says, hey, yeah, use my name in this lawsuit against the state of Georgia? Uh, not someone who's happy Brian Kemp got elected, I would assure you. And the AJC, after relying on him in 10 different articles, waited until yesterday to disclose that his name is involved in that lawsuit. He voted in November of 2018 
probably did not vote for Brian Kemp, considering his involvement in Stacey Abrams' lawsuit. Uh, he was able to vote, but he had difficulty voting because his name in the voter ID file was Del Rio, D-E-L-R-I-O, and he actually spells it D-E-L space R-I-O, and he says it was a hassle to vote as a result. The AJC waited to disclose that, but but let me let, let me get you this. Uh, on March 23rd, Dr. Del Rio is quoted in the AJC saying, we need Governor Kip to act now. The point of no return for Georgia is rapidly closing. To prevent a catastrophe in the healthcare system due to COVID-19, we need for him to shut Georgia down now. And that is Del Rio's position. The governor is not doing enough and he needs to shut the whole state down. Now, mind you, on March 10th, Dr. Del Rio said, I think while I have the best interest of public health at hand, you also have to think of economic consequences and you have to not discard those. He was advising Savannah on March 10th that if they wanted to keep the Mardi Gras, or not the Mardi Gras, they wanted to keep the St. Patrick's Day Parade going, keep the St. Patrick's Day Parade going. For one thing, this is the AJC now, for one thing, he said, it's an open air event. For another, Savannah has no cases yet. The nearest diagnoses were still 200 miles away as of Tuesday. If you want to be absolutely airtight, don't have the event. I think while I have the best interest of public health at hand, you also have to think of economic consequences, and you have to not discard those, Del Rio said. Now, on his phone call with the Georgia Municipal Association, Del Rio said he wasn't so much concerned about rural areas of the state as he was urban areas of the state, and that's a position that aligned completely with Governor Kemp. I want to play you some of the audio from this call so you get a sense of this. I want to begin at the five-minute mark in this call, and you're going to hear me skipping through the call. Uh, let me go to the five-minute mark and listen to the scenario outlined by Dr. Del Rio to the Georgia Municipal Association on what we can expect in terms of fatalities. We're probably going to have 700,000 cases. We're going to be have about 154,000 hospitalization, about 77,000 ICU beds used, and about 15,000 deaths. Next one. That's nationally. Now, this would be in the state of Georgia. The state of Georgia, we're expecting about 27,000 deaths. Now, if we do the right things, we can bring the number of deaths down to about 1,000. We're going to have 27,000 deaths in Georgia, according to the models, unless we do the right thing. If we do the right thing, we'll have 1,000 deaths in Georgia. In the state of Georgia. So doing the right things, but dramatically, it's not going to stop this virus, but it's going to dramatically decrease the impact on the healthcare system. You, you got that? We're going to have 27,000 deaths in Georgia, according to this doctor. We're going to have 27,000 deaths in Georgia. This is his conference call with the Georgia Municipal Association. The mayors and county commissioners in the state are on this phone call. And he tells them we're going to have 27,000 deaths in the state of Georgia unless we do the right things. And if we do the right things, we're going to have... Uh, a thousand deaths. Now let's fast forward to 22 minutes into the phone call. And again, if you text uh, data to 33777, you'll find the link to this phone call. You can hear it for yourself. Uh, let's go to, to, to 22 minutes into the call. This is Dr. Del Rio now talking about the economic impact around the state. He gets a question. The question's got to be repeated here. Uh, who's ever in charge of the calls repeating the question. Oh, repeat the question. What should trigger a city or county's decision to shelter in place, presuming the lack of a statewide order? You know, I would say that if you're a city or a county 
in a, in a major in a metropolitan area. I'm less concerned about, about rural counties, but I'm more concerned about cities. He's less concerned about rural areas. So this is what he says at, at 22 minutes, 38 seconds into the call. He's less concerned about rural areas, more concerned about urban areas. And I would say if you're in a city in the state, whether it's Augusta, Savannah, Albany, Columbus, uh, you need to do something now. And, and you need to talk to your local experts because they will tell you the case is already there. And as I said, because we don't have enough testing and because we've been hampered in our testing ability in the states, in the United States, not only in the state of Georgia, uh, we may have cases in our community and not know about it. In other words, if you're in one of the urban areas of the state, he didn't say Macon, I'm, I won't be offended by that, but uh, Atlanta, Columbus, Savannah, Albany, Augusta, Macon, Valdosta, you probably need a shelter-in-place order in those areas. And in fact, uh, those areas have stepped up to do it. Rural parts of the state, he said, again, you heard him say he's not as concerned about rural parts of the state. But now let's fast forward to 25 minutes and 33 seconds and, and listen to this portion of the phone call. Take this new shelter-in-place for two weeks. During those two weeks, we can do two things. We can scale up testing so we can then identify infected individuals and isolate them and we can shore up our healthcare system. So his recommendation is a two-week shelter-in-place for the whole state. After he said he's, he's not that worried about rural areas, for the entire state, though, we need a shelter-in-place. Now, listen, this is the important part here that comes up. I want to play this for you so that it, it is in complete context so you understand. If we do those two things, in two weeks, maybe, maybe time to rethink what the strategy. As I said, what we do today is not what's going to require long distance, right? But the, the more we wait, there has there was a there was a, a a recent data that I'll put in the slides that I didn't put here that basically shows Georgia has has until tomorrow basically until March 24th to do the right thing. If Georgia doesn't do this by March 24th, we might as well just prepare for catastrophe. You hear that? Let's go back to the five minute mark. What is catastrophe, according to Dr. Del Rio? You heard it at the five-minute mark in the phone call, the federal and the state concerns. We're probably going to have 700,000 cases. We're going to be have about 154,000 hospitalization, about 77,000 ICU beds used, and about 15,000 deaths. The next one. Now, this would be in the state of Georgia. The state of Georgia, we're expecting about 27,000 deaths. Now, if we do the right things... We can bring the number of deaths down to about a thousand. That was Dr. Del Rio. He's the expert relied on by the AJC. Uh, he, he's a good epidemiologist. And he said on March 21st, uh, 11 Alive ran a story. And he tweeted out as well that Georgia had until March 24th to shut the whole state down, shelter in place. He told that to the mayors on March 23rd. You've got to shut it down or else. By March 24th, he said, Georgia would cross the point of no con uh, of no return and we would have to prepare for catastrophe. But there's a problem. The projections of his models are now beginning to meet reality. And if according to the modeling that Dr. Del Rio has kept in place, 
Georgia, uh, by March 30th, would have 741 hospitalizations if we did a three-month lockdown of the state. If we only took limited action, there would be 1,355 hospitalizations. Well, in Georgia, actually, uh, there are uh, 774 cases in the state of Georgia in hospitals right now. So we're not technically in the lockdown, uh, statewide lockdown that's been advocated, and yet our modeling is roughly in line with what would happen if we did have a complete lockdown. So we didn't do the we didn't do what was recommended. He demanded that the governor shut the whole place down by March 24th. The governor said he'll back up local municipalities who want to shut down. And we're getting the results that in the best case scenario we were supposed to get. And now it turns out they've adjusted the point of no return. And by the way, this is not an attack on Dr. Del Rio. Again, his models are now adjusting based on the real world data that's coming in. And on March 23rd, he was telling mayors in a conference call, you've got until tomorrow, March 24th, to shut the entire state down or else we will go into catastrophe. And catastrophe is 27,000 people dead. And now the model has changed based on the governor's handling of the situation. And they've moved the point of no return to between April 6th and April 11th at the latest. April Between April 6th and April 11th at the latest, they got to do something. Well, now there's, there's more to it than that, though. Because the AJC, since that phone call on March 23rd, has been running a series of stories on the governor saying that that the governor's not doing enough. The AJC editorial was, please, governor, shut it down. The AJC stories have repeatedly been uh, that he's got to, to shut it all down. The mayors are all upset. They ran one, two, three, four stories in the last week on the governor not doing enough and the mayors being upset and wanting everything shut down because catastrophe was coming. And all of those stories are based on this March 23rd phone call where the man told the mayors that the point of no return would be the next day. And so the mayors have freaked out and they're demanding Governor Kemp do something. But the data is now adjusting the models because we have real world data. And the media, particularly the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, is not changing the story. The story in the media is still disaster is upon us. The governor must shut the state down. But even this doctor's models are now saying, actually, we're not at the point of no return like we thought we were going to be. And even though the governor hasn't shut the place down, the data that is reflected in hospitalizations actually looks very much like what we thought would happen if we shut the place down. Because people are actually doing what they need to do. But there's an additional point here we need to pay attention to because the AJC keeps relying on this one doctor. There are other doctors they could have referred to who are actually the ones advising the governor. And what are they telling the governor? I'll tell you when we come back. If you're still with me following the AJC's reliance on this one guy who's been uh, demanding the governor shut down the state and getting the mayors to shut down the state, uh, we now have this from 16 hours ago at the AJC. With Governor Kemp balking at more stringent restrictions to curb the spread of coronavirus, the leaders of Georgia's most influential cities are set to intensify the pressure on him. Sandy Springs Mayor Rusty Paul said a consensus emerged from a 
about 50 mayors during a Monday call that a statewide stay-at-home order and other policies were needed to remedy the inconsistent, confusing patchwork of policies now in place. Uh, this is based on a the phone call with Dr. Del Rio, uh, the, who said we needed to shut down the whole state by March 24th. And now the situation has changed. Now the situation has changed. Well, and now there is good news. It turns out that Dr. Del Rio's models have, have adjusted. A new statistical model suggests deaths in Georgia from the coronavirus could peak on April 23rd, according to Dr. Del Rio. The prediction is dependent on the resolve of Georgians to maintain social distancing and on increased testing with the state. According to the model, the number of Georgians dying from COVID-19 will peak on April 23rd with an estimated 84 people dying on that day. Now, wait, 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 wait a second here. We heard him say five minutes into that phone call that there would be 27,000 deaths in Georgia unless the governor took all necessary action, and then we could get the deaths down to 1,000 people. And now he's saying, based on the adjusted models, because of what people are doing in the state, even though the governor hasn't shut down the state like the AJC demands the governor do, there are only going to be 84 people dead on April 23rd. There there've got to be thousands of people a day dying to get to 27,000 deaths to then only have 87, 84 people dying on April 23rd, unless the models have adjusted to take into account people's behavior, which they have. The modeling is the point I'm getting to here. The modeling is not really wrong here. Dr. Del Rio is not trying to scare people. He's trying to show what would happen in the worst case scenario. But he said on April 23rd, we had a day to shut the whole state down or we would have catastrophe. Catastrophe was 27,000 deaths. We haven't had catastrophe, and now the good news is it looks like the peak will be April 23rd with 84 people dead that day. We've only had 103 people total die in the state so far. So we're not gonna have a massive 27,000 dead spike in the next 23 days. So what happened? Well, without the governor of Georgia shutting the whole state down, Local governments did as the governor requested, and they took action based on the necessities of their community. The problem here is not Dr. Del Rio and his model. The problem here is the Atlanta Journal-Constitution is continuing a storyline that started on March 23rd, saying if we don't shut down the state, disaster will befall us. And they've continued that train of thought now for two weeks, even though the data has adjusted. And it turns out with what the governor is doing, we're still in the best case scenario. By the way, you know what that model actually suggests is that we keep everyone sheltering in place until July. Are you willing to shelter in place until July? I bet you're not. We're in a shelter in place household. We're quarantined because of my wife's health. And we're not willing to sit in our house until July. And no one else is as well. The models have changed. The governor is changing. But the storyline against him hasn't changed. And that suggests there's a level of partisanship in the storyline. And that in and of itself is something that needs to change if we're to move on and get a fair assessment of what's actually happening in the state of Georgia.
if you are in the uh, south of Atlanta, between Macon and Atlanta, there are some severe thunderstorms blowing through. Uh, they'll be impacting the Athens-Clark County area and the Clarksville area here shortly. So uh, be on the lookout. The phone number here, 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. There are a lot of companies that are stepping up to help you and your family out uh, while you are stuck at home right now, providing uh, content, uh, high-quality content, some of it free, some of it a discount. Uh, a lot of it online and streaming. One of those companies is one, I, I, I've got so many friends who are huge fans of VidAngel, uh, and Neil Harmon, the CEO, is joining me by phone right now. Neil, thanks for stopping by. Uh, thanks for having me on, Eric. It's good to talk to you. I, 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 I can't tell you uh, how many friends I have uh, who are VidAngel customers right now and, and love it because they know, particularly um, being in the faith-based community, that they're not going to have rude awakenings and having to explain awkward things to their kids, uh, knowing they can trust (laughs) the content. And if you wouldn't mind, uh, give the audience, for those who aren't familiar with VidAngel, an overview of of what you guys do. You bet. So VidAngel is a streaming app that you can download on iPhone uh, or on Android phones, and you can and you can, can connect to your television, and it helps you make entertainment good for your own home. So you could, for example, you could watch Stranger Things, and you could skip the the, the language that you don't want repeated in your home, or you could watch. Um, uh, some people watch Game of Thrones, and they cut out all the nudity. Um, there's all, everything under the sun that you can watch there from your Netflix or your Amazon Prime account. But the best part of it, Angel, is we take the decisions that we that people make, and we and we share them with with uh, comedians and and content creators, and then they make better content. So we've been launching our own original content, for example, Drybar Comedy and the Chosen TV series, um, and this content is, has been super well received. Well, and and that's just it. Now you, you've you've got, and I I've heard I have not seen the dry bar comedy yet, uh, but I've had several friends of mine send me links uh, to, to bits and pieces to see, and I I need to make my kids sit down with me, and, and we're we're desperate for additional entertainment beyond the stuff that's out there, uh, and so now right now you guys are are if it's if I'm understanding right, you're opening the door up so people can come in and check out the content and not have to worry about any long term commitments. That's correct. No credit card required. All you need to do is agree to practice social distancing and give bigger hugs when this is all over. And you can use VidAngel within minutes for free. Uh, so I, you mean I'm going to have to actually hug my kids now? <laughs> <laughs> no, just that. Fine. Just it's all over. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, what, what was the what was the genesis of, uh, of this? And by the way, uh, just, just so so you know, uh, the the friend who introduced me to VidAngel is a huge Game of Thrones fan and couldn't bring himself to watch it and discovered he could watch it through VidAngel and uh, take care of all the all the qualms he had with it. And but I yep. mean, what what was the genesis of this? Uh, of VidAngel or of the free, yeah, a, a VidAngel. Uh, for social distancing. Okay, so VidAngel was started by four brothers, and we all had young children, and we love great storytelling. And we asked ourselves, I wonder if other people are this way. And we did a survey and found out that about half of American parents would want to skip stuff that they find objectionable in their own homes uh, in popular movies and TV. And when we thought about this, 
And we thought, well, shoot, there, there's a group of people that are like us that we can go help solve this problem. And if we do that, we could also produce great content for those people. And that we had this idea starting about 2012. We started the company in late 2013, and we've been at it for the last seven years. And uh, boy, it has been a ride. Yeah, well, it has been. In, in fact, a number of, of outlets have come after you guys for daring to make content uh, watchable by families who object to some of the stuff in popular culture right now. Uh, what is the, the status on, on the, the various lawsuits and, and issues that you guys have had to deal with as, as people have attacked you all? You bet. So um, that's a great question. So we've been through, I think we're on iteration number six of our system. Because iterations one, two, and three all got shut down in one way or another by the studio system. And iteration four, uh, we figured out, but then, uh, and, and, we, and we communicated exactly what we were doing with the studios. And, and they, didn't, they, didn't, they didn't have any complaints. But a of year course. later, when we were growing, they, they sued us. And... Um, and uh, it was the biggest media company in the world. It was Disney that was leading the lawsuit. So um, there, there were Disney and Warner Brothers basically are the ones that are suing us. They're the most, they, they offer the most family-friendly content. And uh, when they initially sued us, I thought, what? Why in the world is Disney suing us? They're, like they're the most likely to, um, to, 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 like they share the same audience of people that, we, that we're serving. Right. But th- then it occurred to me, well, wait a second, maybe – you know, maybe that, that that's the reason it's Disney is because they don't want other content. They don't want the other content that's produced by the other studios competing with their own content that is deemed worthy of the family. So um, we don't know why, but we fought a lot. We fought a long battle. The district court in Los Angeles sided with Disney um, and and uh, we had a uh, what we felt like was a terribly unjust trial. We were we were we were fined on a level that that according to the studios has never happened before, um, sixty two million dollars, and um, and uh, we had to file bankruptcy. But what what was interesting is that our service has been so well received that the trustee in our bankruptcy process has recommended to the bankruptcy court that that we now leave bankruptcy and we pay off the entire 62 million in full. Now we hope we never have to do that. We hope we get to appeal and and we get to overturn that unjust ruling, but uh, we're doing really well. We're going to survive this and and Disney didn't put us out of business. So, so now we're out there and we're trying to serve families. That is that that's so terrific to hear because I, I know so many people who, they wouldn't even engage with popular culture without VidAngel right now because there, there's just so much out there that is inappropriate. And there's so much good storytelling out there and, and so many people who feel like they can't tell the good story without adding all the stuff that isn't necessary to the stories. And and you guys do such a good job of being able to make it accessible to, uh, frankly, faith families that, that aren't going to otherwise engage with that stuff. That's right. Just be able to skip that one thing that just you're just like, why did they have to stick that in there? And then you can just skip over it. And just like you would with your remote control or, or with your TV, except this is a pre-programmed remote. So, um, yeah, it's it, we love the service in our families and we're glad it's been received by family families throughout the throughout 
That's fantastic. So you now it, it's vidangel.com is the website, and uh, people can go right now, and, and they don't even have to have a credit card. Just promise to, to hug their kids and keep socially distanced away from people. That's right. That's right. And you can you can go to vidangel.com, vidangel.com, or you can just search on your app store, uh, Google Play or the Apple App Store, and you can download the app and be watching within minutes. That's fantastic. Neil, listen, thank you so much for stopping by. I, I know we had to reschedule twice because all sorts of difficulties on our end, but I'm, I'm glad you were able to come with us because, again, I, I got way too many people I can think of who are just they won't watch popular culture without Fit Angel. And I'm glad you guys came up with the idea. Thank you for helping get the word out, Eric. We really appreciate it. Absolutely. That's Neil Harmon, a CEO of VidAngel. And, and again, if you don't understand what VidAngel is, uh, you can set filters on the content. So, for example, I became a Game of Thrones fan by accident. Uh, I, I had tried to watch Game of Thrones twice and could not get past the opening episode. Um from the violence, I, I'm just, you know, I, I'm more willing to, I, I can I can see a, a sex scene in a movie and it doesn't faze me as much as blood going everywhere and beheadings and stuff. And I, I could not watch it. But the very first time I was trying to watch it was on an airplane and I bought it off of iTunes the first season. And because everybody loved it, so might as well buy the first season. I'm going to love it too. I got to get past the first episode. And then I became mindful that there was a kid sitting behind me, diagonally from me. And he could see my iPad screen, and there was a beheading, and and just like I'm, I'm not gonna watch this in in case the kid. And then the next time I tried it, a while went by. I decided I'd try it again. Everybody's talking about it. Season four or five is coming out, and I just I couldn't get through it again. And then uh, in the run up to season six, I was in the hospital, I was there for about two weeks. And HBO in the run-up to the season was showing uh, the Game of Thrones marathon. And I was up late, couldn't sleep, watching Adult Swim. And the young guy who's a nurse comes in. is like, what are you doing? I was, I'm in the cardiac ward. And I'm by probably 30 or 40 years the youngest person in there. And he's like, we're watching Game of Thrones. He took the remote from me. And, and it was I, somewhere in season two, he brought me up to speed. And I became hooked. It was such a well done show. It really, really was a well done show. But uh, there's a lot of there's there's vulgarity. There there's sex. There's a lot of violence. And so you can watch it through VidAngel, and it will cut all that stuff out. Very much like so. When I grew up in Dubai, uh, in Dubai, uh, TV shows would sometimes Dallas, for example. When I was a kid, a young kid living in Dubai, they showed Dallas, and it was always a season behind the United States. So uh, we would see who shot Jr. and then come home, and it's a season beyond uh, who shot Jr. <laughs> and um, so, um, th so in Dubai they would cut out all the violence and, and even kissing was cut out. So your 40 minute show, I mean, an American, an hour long American drama is really about 40 minutes long because there are 20 minutes of commercials in there, a little bit more now. And in Dubai, you didn't show commercials during the show. You, you only showed the show. And so the show would be 40 minutes and then you would have the commercials. Well, they would cut out all the kissing and they'd cut out all the violence. So the show would actually, some nights would only be 20 minutes long. I mean, they just skip everything. And that was with a lot of these shows. They just cut it all out. Uh, and then you'd go to the news. And the funniest thing was the news. Uh, they'd have a local news at eight o'clock and they'd have an, a world news at 10 o'clock. And the eight o'clock, I kid you not, some nights the anchor would come on. She is this, this very nice British lady. 
And she would come on and she would say, good evening. There is no local news tonight. We'll move straight to the weather. It will be 110 degrees tomorrow with no chance of rain. That's the evening news. Good day. <laughs> and that was it. I mean, uh, maybe a minute long forecast. That was it. Now, during the winter time, you would actually get rain and it could be cold. You get down into the 40s at night in Dubai. Uh, you still can in the winter time. Uh, and, and it would be cold during the day. It'd be in the 60s or 70s during the day. Uh, and it, there would be a lot of rain. The monsoon season would come in. And uh, it was just, it was really, really funny to to see those newscasts. But the TV shows, they'd strip out all the profanity. They'd strip out the violence. They'd strip out the sex. And you could do that with VidAngel. It's like growing up in Dubai and watching that stuff. Um, it's just, it, it's it's a, it's a, it was a funny, funny way to grow up. And I know so many friends now who want to engage with popular content because there's so much compelling storytelling out there right now. But they're just not going to do it because of their values. And I, I don't blame them. And using a service like VidAngel allows them to engage in a way they otherwise couldn't so they can see a lot of the popular content that's out there right now from either Game of Thrones or um, what's the Breaking Bad and, and stuff like that a couple of years old uh, and, and get it through VidAngel. But they're now doing their own uh, stuff. And what I do find very notable is that a lot of companies were okay with VidAngel until they got big and realized how many people were using the service. And once they got big and so many people were using the service, then Disney and Warner Brothers and the like all went after them to try to put them out of business. And they continue to survive and rebound. And they have a loyal customer following. And I, I appreciate Neil stopping by today to tell you right now you can go to VidAngel and get the service without even a credit card as long as you promise to socially distance. Wow. Um, so Philip, who works with me, it, it does make me wonder sometimes what he does while I'm on radio. <laughs> Just sent me a picture of... Uh, someone who has gotten bored in their self-isolation and has decided, why go to the bathroom when there's a balcony? <laughs> oh, the things you can find on the internet. Now, I, I, I want to raise another issue for you. This one, uh, you know, by the way, there is some breaking news you should know about. Chris Cuomo at CNN. Uh, he has uh, COVID-19. Uh, keep him in your prayers. Uh, I, I, I know some of you aren't fans of his, and I'm... Uh, rather critical of him oftentimes, but I, I do not uh, wish this illness on anyone. Um, so please do keep him in your prayers. The, 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 on CNN, Sanjay Gupta is under fire for saying something that progressives wish he had not said. Is it accurate that if these uh, steps had not been put in place, the stay-at-home orders, the social distancing orders, uh, as the president said yesterday, it could have been 2 million people dead here in the United States? I mean, you know, these are all models, Wolf. It, it, it's a little tough to say, but, you know, if you, if you talk about something that is spreading, you know, very robustly throughout a community, you know, two to three times more contagious than flu and up to 10 times perhaps, even more than that, more deadly than flu, then yes. So, in other words, the president's actions actually have saved people's lives. And... People don't like the fact that uh, Sanjay Gupta pointed that out, uh, that the president is actually having an impact in what he's doing. You may not like the rhetoric. You may not like the president's press conferences. Uh, but the fact of the matter is the president actually is doing a fairly good job of looking leaderly right now. Here's the president from his press conference yesterday. Well, it's uh, it's so bad for the economy, but the economy is number two on my list. First, I want to save a lot of lives. We're going to get the economy back. I think the economy is going to come back very fast. 
Uh, Steve's just asking about the economy, what's it like? Uh, we basically shut down our country. And we did that in order to keep people separated, keep people apart. They're not working in offices. They're not in airplanes together. You know, we really shut it down. And, you know, 150, 151 other countries are pretty much shut down. But here we're the, we had the greatest economy in the world. We had the greatest economy in the history of our country. And I had to go from doing a great job for three years to shutting it down. But you know what? We're going to build it up, and we're going to build it up rapidly. And I think in the end, we'll be stronger for it. We learned a lot. It is. Listen, there are there are plenty of things uh, that I can be critical of with the president and in some of the things he does. But it's a good statement for him to say he's putting lies before the economy, in particular because the media so often portrays him as not caring. In fact, there's a lot of reporting coming out of the White House uh, over the weekend and into today when the president last week said he wanted to open up the country by Easter. There was a complete meltdown in the media. And, and you know, I played you the clip of the president. He did not actually say that we were going to open uh, the country by Easter. During our town hall today, you threw out a date where you think America can be working again. And that's Easter Sunday. That's 19 days from now. How did you come up with so, that day? Well, it's 19 days, but add another seven because we've been doing this now for seven. So that's from the time we heard about it. Seven and nine. From the time yeah. we, yes, so from the time we, we close it up. So you could add seven to nine. Uh, look, Easter's a very special day for me. And I see it's sort of in that timeline that I'm thinking about. And I say, wouldn't it be great to have all of the churches full? You know, the churches aren't allowed, essentially, to have much of a congregation there. And most of them, I watched on Sunday, online. And he was terrific, by the way. But online is never going to be like being there. So I think Easter Sunday, and you'll have packed churches all over our country. I think it would be a beautiful time. And it's just about the timeline that I think is right. It gives us more chance to work on what we're doing. And I'm not sure that's going to be the day, but I would love to aim it right at Easter Sunday. So we're open for church service and services generally on Easter Sunday. That would be a beautiful thing. I'm not sure that's going to be the day, he said. And yet the way the media reported it was that it was absolutely uh, fiat. The president of the United States intended to open us by Easter, and that was bad, and we can't do that, and, and how dare he suggest that. He, he never said it. What he said was that he would like to. He's not sure that's the day that was his goal. Well, the president has abandoned that day, and he's abandoned that day for having the audacity to listen to the experts around him the audacity to listen to the experts around him. And, and he's now coming under fire again. He can't win. Now, listen, let me, Kevin Williams in a national review is, is, is a, a regular critic of the president. He, he's a good conservative, does not like the president. And he writes this in national review today. Are the media unfair to president Trump at times? Yes. Are the Democrats awful? Of course. But it is not the media or the Democrats forcing President Trump to conduct himself in this clownish fashion. He behaves like a clown because he is a clown-souled man. The right's excuse-making and its positive celebration of this clownishness is well beyond what political necessity requires or decency allows. It is shameful and it will come with a price in the end. Whether you agree with that or not, I think we should note that 
for a lot of people, the president's behavior is baked in now. They recognize that this is who he is, whether you want to call him a, a, a clown-souled man, as Kevin Williamson does, or, or just this is the way he's always behaved, and it's baked into the equation. And there are a lot of Americans who are saying, you know what, okay, I, I don't care for this behavior, but he's the president now. Let's move on. And it is, it is the media and the Democrats and, and folks like Williamson and others who I think are, are locked into, they can't get over the way he behaves, and so they can't move on. they got to continue to point out his behavior. Well, everyone else has already done pointing out his behavior. They've, they've moved on. They've gotten over it. And these people have it. And if we're supposed to move the conversation on, then then by God, move the conversation forward, members of the media. The president is listening to his advisors like you wanted. Give him that credit.